0: The reading is taken from John chapter 21, starting at verse 1, which is on a page 1090 in the Pew Bibles. John chapter 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John,
1: Well, this is barbecue on the beach and that reading that we've just had gives an indication of uh, where we're going with the sermon as part of this series that we're looking at uh, over these five Sundays. And we come now to John's Gospel chapter 21. The scene opens on the shore of Galilee, sometimes referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, a place that um, the, the disciples, who were fishermen for sure, would have known from generation to generation. Familiar landmark for them. Uh, the disciples find themselves um, quietly ill at ease with themselves, uh, enveloped in a sort of reflective mood. Where, where do we go from here? What's our future? They feel that they're in a sort of no-man's land. It's a sort of melancholic darkness that's enveloped them. There's little conversation. There's not much to say. No one knows what to do. And no one knows what they should think. And finally, and characteristically, as those of us who are familiar, at least with the the Gospels, will know that Peter was always the spokesman. And he breaks the silence. And he said as something like this. I don't know about you. I'm not going to sit around here all day doing nothing. I'm going fishing. And there you have it in verse 3. As as it's recorded, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. They said, well, we might as well come with you. How many of them? Uh, We're not sure, but they're they're referred to as the disciples. Not all of them were fishermen. So here are the disciples. This introduction is important in the sense that it sets the tone for where we're going with the sermon. Now, Strictly speaking, there was nothing sinful or wrong about what the disciples were doing. But they went into a sort of automatic pilot to revert back to what they always did. And oftentimes when God has clearly told us what to do and we begin to think, what did he really mean that? Am I sure about that? It's easy for us just to revert to what we always did. Revert to old habits, old ways of doing things. Now, for sure, before they met Jesus, they had a vocation. And we know the background to most of the disciples. But now they had a little more than a vocation. They had a calling. And what they were doing, in as Peter is the one who speaks for himself and others follow, they're going back to what they always did, turning a deaf ear. that call. After all, they were rather disillusioned, confused, and a feature that is true of most people lots of time, far too often, actually feeling rather sorry for themselves, feeling let down by events that have taken place. So that's the setting. It's very important to, to get into that. I say that because it may well be that we're not talking about them there, but us here, now, this morning. You are standing on a similar shore. Right now. And what are you doing? Actually, you're casting nets with the skill that you've honed for sure, away from the mainstream, literally, of what God wants you to do and has called you. And it's easy to find yourself in some sort of back water, where there's not much happening. In reality, you are living with empty nets. And that's the whole context here. In a sense, if we were to stop there, that would be enough for fruitful discussion. There they are. That's the setting. Peter says, I'm going fishing. So we take that up, and there's three main um, headings that we can look at uh, this morning. First of all, you look at the generosity of Christian forgiveness. If you trace the disciples, you are to ask, how many times should they have forgiveness? and How many times are these old things surfacing in the lives of the disciples? So you see in verse 10, <clears throat> here we have it. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so now there is an engagement of heart and mind here. Bring some of the fish that you've caught and uh, then Jesus said to them, this is the point. It's breakfast time. Come and eat. Come and have breakfast. Verse 12. And none of the, de- the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Not now. Verse 15. Just to get the final setting. When they had finished eating. So the heading, barbecue at the beach, when they'd finished eating. often, Some of the best conversation, if you are privileged to have people to eat with you in your home and share, is post-meal. You're talking. There's a sense of the Bible word, shalom, a sense of well-being. You're hungry and you're fed. They were cold, now they're warm. They were isolated, now they're in company. And Jesus engages. Sometimes our conversations like that. And here it is, verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, these, he poses these um, three questions, which uh, the nub of it is not, why did you go fishing? Or why did you do that? But this. And it will always be, whatever the context, it will always be, do you love me more than these? It's a question that will be asked in our discipleship most of our lives, and we can't fudge that. And this is where the generosity of this Christian forgiveness, as it comes from the Lord Jesus, begins to kick in. It's an intimate moment. Jesus steps into their world, into their experience, into their darkness, and he knows that they are disillusioned, they're disappointed, the events have taken place that they said wasn't part of the script. We didn't know this was going to happen. And he reminds them and all of us of one thing, first of all, that he has called them. One of the lovely things about coming to faith in Jesus Christ is he has called us. You don't have to be a priest or a pastor or a missionary or anything. It's a call to all of us. And it's a call which some of us will, some of you particularly, I know, find very difficult. It's a call to be involved. Involvement is always tricky. If you are involved with people who are demanding, you'll know that you have to be more patient. You know that you have to hold back what you think. You know that you're going to have to work hard at listening. But let me put this to you. To be involved in a job, whatever that job is, secular, sacred, it matters not, to be involved in a job without a calling, and Jesus is called, is to settle for a life of empty nets. A busy life, for sure. Hard work and, and, It looks impressive, all the skill of going out in the night and knowing the weather and and being in sync with culture and all that sort of thing. But the end of the day, and that's a cliche, isn't it? Empty nets, which are almost a sort of a symbol, if you like, of empty lives. And three times these questions are posed. It's the same question. One question for every denial. And here's a thing that Peter would find difficult, and I guess all of us do, and it's this, that often and Jesus is saying, now, I'm not just saying, well, here's forgiveness and, uh, and don't do it again. No. He's saying, let, let's go back first. Then we can go forward. Our tendency is to say, well, look, I'm sorry, I, I won't do it again. Let's, let's, can we move on? The generosity of forgiveness is no. Because it isn't cheap grace. It's so costly. For sure, forgiveness is about selfishness and failure. Because that's what's written over these pages with the disciples. But it's more than that. Forgiveness is about those things. But surely it's also about love. It's the side of the coin. Do you... Love me. Now, that's the point of the hymn that we've sung. And the hymn writer uh, captures this. Well, let me just read that verse again. In our joys and in our sorrows, and we have plenty of both, don't we, in varying degrees, days of toil, hours of ease, still he calls in cares and pleasures that we love him more than these. And many sermons. What are these? Is it the livelihood? Is it their pension, their future in the fishing business, which was quite lucrative? For all, everybody's talking about that. More than these? Or is it actually Jesus pointing to the other disciples because in their presence said, Yeah, they will fail you. I won't. Do you love me more than these? No. See the point. There's lots of of things there. But written over this is the generosity of God's extravagant love as it's given in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not letting, if I can use this word, a fisherman's word, letting Peter off the hook. Let him dangle there a bit. Do you love me? Really love me? More than these? Really? You see what he's doing? And forgiveness involving a love like that is not a sentimental one, but radical The second thing that you have here is also, it's it's called a Christian service. Yes, it's called a Christian forgiveness, which is unique. And, and, And we have to work at this. It's not natural for us to be forgiving. It's natural for us to be grudging. It's natural for us to pay back like for like. That's how we are. That's natural. That's our nature. It's unnatural for us to be so generous that we're willing to forgive And ask God to give us a tender heart towards people who have harmed us. The call to Christian service, then, in these verses 15 to 17, you see, look at it. Here it is. What a surprise to this mature disciple. Feed, care, nurture. It's out of his framework, isn't it? What is he saying? Well, in a a sense, it's this. Do what Jesus was doing. Do what Jesus was doing. Don't justify it. Don't plead a special case. Do what Jesus is doing. For this is our calling. It's a great calling. Peter had publicly denied Jesus. Now publicly Jesus wants to reinstate him. Most of our sins are, are private, aren't they? Thank God for that, you might say. How embarrassed would we be? Yet the call is there. It's always there. Now what's this call? It's not catching fish. There's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly good and commendable. But now it's caring for people. It's much harder. People are much harder than fish. Don't we know it? There's something else here that uh, Neil touched on last Sunday do you remember the disciples were harassed and he says come aside and rest a while let's have a holiday and the the crowd followed and when they got out of the boat there they were waiting and you thought I'm on holiday give me a break when Mark 6.34 when Jesus saw them he was moved with compassion and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and that analogy was pursued The real test of love for Jesus. What is it? It's not so much if a believer is grounded in the faith. That would be a benchmark for most Christians. After all, Christian doctrine is so vitally important. But actually, a real test of love for Jesus Christ is not only believing facts, important though they are, but a willingness to be involved with other people. And that's the nub of this. More than these, feed, nurture, care. Every believer. Every believer. Most churches, few do most. We've worked very hard at this and we've had moderate success. What we want is for most to do, few, to share out equally. And anything that is done for Jesus, anything at all, stewarding, flower arranging, church cleaning, helping, being involved in at least one committee. Ask yourself then, I have a right to do this. What are you doing Would it make any difference if you were no longer coming? How would people miss you? Yes, miss you for who you are, but for what you do. One little thing. Well, you say that's a bit much. It's holiday time and... Well, that's it, isn't it? It's a call to Christian service. I know a call for who you are is first, but what you do surely is a very close second. S-club, home groups, stewarding, cleaning. The rotas. That's a bit of an anti to the sermon, but it's indicative of a willingness to be involved. And how irritating it is when people don't turn up. How irresponsible people are that they forget. Happens all the time. And you'll be much more sanctified and much more accommodating if you realize, I wonder what their problem is, rather than to criticize them. Well, it's the test of... Forgiveness, real forgiveness. It's a test of calling to Christian service. Uh, Peter picks up on this in his his letter. You, you can turn to it in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. And this is what he says. So he reflects now, looking back on all of this. What does he say? 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us. He's talking to the church. To you and I. Just just now like that. As if the ink isn't right. It's written to you. Verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. Through them you may, there it is, participate. Not spectate. You see what he's saying? In the divine nature... And escape the corruption that is in the world through evil desires, always snapping at our heels. And here it is. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, full circle, love. And if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective in your involvement, however little or much it might be. And lastly, it's the challenge of Christian discipleship. Discipleship. So, we come to the end of our reading and in verses 18 and 19, where again the discussion post-barbecue meal is taking place. What a surprise this is. Now, of course, this was unique for Peter, not for any of the other disciples. There are things that happen to us that's unique to you, not to anybody else, of course. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. Verse 18. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And so, I remember trying to help my father uh, dress. I was very poor at it. I hadn't done it very often. And I was thinking about this, but that's not what he's got here. Yes, he's older. But you know, if you and, he, and it's not wrong to read between the lines. Stretch out your hands and someone will take you where you don't want to go. And in that culture, there and then, it means you are going to take up your cross and follow me. And that is discipleship. And of course, we're not sure how Peter died, but that is, was to indicate the type of death by which he was to glorify God. Not all Christian disciples die when they're old. Stephen died in the flower of youth. It's a challenge to Christian discipleship. And it comes to us at various stages in our lives. It's come to you before, but it's coming to you again. And it's holiday time. And perhaps it's a good time to come. Here's a quotation. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Yes, die to self? Perhaps literally. And those were the uncompromising words of a young German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Resolutely standing up against for his faith, Bonhoeffer delivered a lecture over what was then called the wireless. through the Berlin Airways in February 1933, in which he publicly, broadcasting, castigated the German public and said to them that they should not crave a political idol, the emerging Adolf Hitler. Before he could finish his broadcast, Bonhoeffer's was abruptly cut off. A fateful foreshadowing of things that were to come on the German people and convulse the world yet refusing to compromise his discipleship Bonhoeffer resists the pervasive influence of Nazism It resulted in his imprisonment in April 1943 and ultimately his death listen to this In the Grey Dawn on April day 1948 in the concentration camp of Flossenburg, shortly before it was liberated by the Allied forces, Bonhoeffer was executed by special order of Heinrich Himmler. The innumerable Christians in Germany and on the continent, in England, America, for them this death has been a contemporary confirmation Of the dictum of Tertullian. Famous church father. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now that in its extreme form I guess. Is the challenge to Christian discipleship. But it's just as much a challenge to live for Jesus as to die for him. Let that be his choice not ours. The point is that we should be faithful. And here is Peter. And here here is Jesus saying here he is strong and and independent and still headstrong. And Jesus is saying, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and you will go where you don't want to go. Who would want to go to their crucifixion? But we know that Jesus had said earlier, if anyone comes after me, let them deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me daily. We can set light on that, can't we? Freely we have received and we are called freely to live and forgive. We, like Peter, having received so much forgiveness, he didn't deserve that, to publicly curse and deny Jesus Christ with peer pressure, for sure. But we don't either. But it's grace. Receiving so much from Jesus, we know there is no greater calling than to serve him and to follow him. In his world, where we are, where he's placed us. In his church, this one, for all of its faults and failings and hopes and desires. And in all of our relationships at home, in our marriages and families with our children, all of that, it's a calling. It's a challenge. And it kicks in with the generosity of forgiveness. Forgiveness is always a two-way thing, isn't it? We're going to come round the Lord's table. And uh, we're going to use uh, this uh, prayer of preparation. And those who are taking part at communion, we won't have a, a, a hymn here, but the group will be playing during the cup as it is served to us. So the barbecue on the beach and communion in church, you make the transition and it's not Peter and Jesus. It's you and Jesus. I hope that you respond to him afresh once again.